Gravity Fit is a sponsor for today's podcast. If you haven't seen it, it's a little hard to visually describe. So right off the bat, we have a handful of videos of a time I spent with the PT talking about Gravity Fit at golfsciencelab.com slash gravity fit. And here's why it's a fascinating tool. A lot of us struggle with posture, spinal stability, shoulder strength, largely due to the sedentary nature of our working lifestyles slumped in a poor posture over our computers and phones. And that makes achieving consistent, neutral athletic golf posture elusive, which often results in poor swing mechanics and not very good ball striking. Gravity Fit helps solve this problem by building awareness, stability, and strength in the key postural and stability muscles responsible for great posture and quality movement. And the really cool thing is that the tools can be used from rehab to the range. Doubling is a fantastic swing aid that can be used while practicing. It's currently in use by over 30 PGA Tour pros, trainers, and coaches, along with thousands of recreational golfers all around the world. Make sure to learn more at gravityfit.com. And on our site, listen to golfsciencelab.com slash gravityfit to check out the podcast and videos that dive deeper into the theory and application of this cool tool. A lot of these things that you're bringing up, I'm afraid might not, these concepts might not die off during my lifetime. And it's really sad because for something to be so perceived as simple as putting, the vast majority of golfers struggle so bad with putting. Like I said, some of these concepts, I mean, I got players that come to me and, and they blurt out all of the stuff that you're saying to me is they'll say, yeah, I need to go straight back, straight through, be a pendulum and keep the putter low through impact. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, that's a contradiction right there. Keeping the putter low? Doesn't a pendulum swing back and up, back down and back up again? There's nothing low except the low point of a pendulum. So you got these players trying to keep the putter low, what's that gonna do? Invite left wrist and elbow extension and shoulder flexion extension. Same thing on the trail side. So there's just so much con conflicting stuff that I feel sorry for people. It's just for something that's supposed to be so simple, we've used enough cliches and enough tips that have absolutely just got people confused. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Today, we're going to be pretty specific. We're talking about something that at some point you've probably said, I should get better at this because it's cost you a, a career low round. It's lost you a, a tournament you wanted to win. We're diving into the topic of putting. And we're not just talking about it like you might find in any old generic golf instruction book. We're talking practical, realistic, researched-based, and used on the PGA Tour. These things, these elements are all really core to what's different here at Golf Science Lab and why you listen to this podcast. And today, we're going to get you the best info possible from one of the most interesting and really great golf instructors, David Orr. I grew up in upstate New York, just north of Syracuse, not exactly golf country. Uh, golf season is probably, what, four to five months out of a year. And uh, just, you know, played Division three golf, played the mini tours, and started uh, teaching golf when I found out I was making more money on the lesson tee than I was making cuts. 
and uh, that was 27 years ago. I've been teaching golf for quite a while. And uh, what's ironic about my career is I started off actually teaching other good players. So rather than teaching the juniors or the beginners and then working your way up, I actually started with good players and uh, you know worked at various country clubs in North Carolina. Out of the last 11 years, I've done a tremendous amount of putting research and also have taught out on the PGA Tour. Obviously, my most famous clients would, have, would be uh, Justin Rose, Hunter Mahan, tons of others. You know, players come and go, and your roster changes every year. Uh, on the ladies' side, Suzanne Patterson, Cheyenne Woods. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride. I, I was a terrible putter myself when I played the May Tours, but I've studied so much about it. I've actually become a decent putter myself and uh, have had, had a lot of success with golfers' careers at all levels teaching putting. So that's kind of my little brief background. We are still focusing our conversations around this idea of golf myths. And this show is maybe more about contradictions between what we've been taught and what's true. And it's something that you've heard thousands of times. Maybe one of the first things when putting, things like straight back and straight through, swing it like a pendulum, only use the big muscles and don't use the wrists. Things that sound really nice and simple. Sounds so nice, doesn't it, Cordy? But it sounds so simple, but when you get down to measuring people, it's complicated. There's a lot simpler strokes out there than straight back, straight through from a body standpoint. So let's start with this concept of straight back and straight through. All right. So this is totally based on research, okay? Actually measuring people, okay? Not theory. So straight back, straight through is a concept or a theory that, you know, if the putter goes straight back in a line, straight through the face stays square of the line, that entire time that that would be the simplest way to putt. And logically, the person, that argument has a point, but the problem is they've never measured the body. They've never measured the wrists, the, the, the forearms, the elbows, and the upper arms, what you would have to do with the body to accomplish that. So we've actually measured that. Dr. Neil, myself, Phil Kenyon. So first of all, you need to understand putters don't move in a straight line. Now, half of it might be true. I've seen the most common pattern is the player trying and attempting to move the putter straight back in the backswing. So there's your straight back portion. But they arc through the ball to the left. That's the most common pattern that we see. Straight back, arc left with the face open to the path. And with that pattern, we sometimes see a toe strike. Okay. Now, another interesting pattern is the straight through part. Another very common pattern of movement that we see is arcing in the backswing, arcing back to the ball, and then going straight down the line. So there's your straight through. So what's interesting is, as far as straight back, straight through, it's very rare to see the backswing straight back and the follow through straight through. Usually we see half of it back and something else going through. So as far as the numbers are concerned, only 11% of golfers had a linear trace of the path. And in order to do that, you would have to change the angles of the wrists and the elbows and the upper arms to accomplish moving that putter in a linear fashion. What's even more interesting is only 8% of golfers through a four inches before impact, four inches after impact, had the face with zero rotation, meaning they're keeping the face square to the line from four inches before to four inches after. Now, to be true straight back, straight through, which is a linear trace with the path and the face being zero, you know, zero point something through impact 
four inches before and four inches after, only 3% of golfers did both. 3%. That means three out of 100 people, Cordy, have a true straight back, straight through stroke. And in order to do that, you'd have to set up in a way either like Michelle Wee really bent over, or you'd have to position your arms like Dean Wilson, which is like a pickaxe or two chicken wings. It's really not an easy way to stroke the putter biomechanically. If you're looking at what the wrists are doing and what the arms have to do to accomplish a straight back, straight through stroke. So I always joke in my conferences and seminars, the straight back, straight through belief system is kind of like ants and cockroaches. Just once, once you think you squished the idea, they just keep coming back. I mean, it is the pop, most popular question people ask me is, do you teach straight back, straight through or arc putting? And it's unfortunate that golfers believe that those are our two choices in strokes. When I just described to you that the most popular stroke is straight back arc left, the second popular stroke is arcing in and then going down the line. I don't know that this belief system of straight back, straight through will ever die, Cordy, to be honest with you. It's my biggest battle and and uh, putters just don't move in straight lines. If you look at it in 3D, the putter, even the straight back, straight through, if you did it, is more of an arc in a vertical plane. It's, it's still an arcing motion. It's just, yeah, this one, I don't think it's going to die very good. I mean, it very easily. So it's straight back and straight through. Not simple. In fact, it would take a lot of manipulation to actually pull this off. And Hang out until the end of this episode because David runs through some things that you can do to better understand this, things you can change in your putting, different ways you can look at putting that are effective. So hang around. First part of this episode, we're looking at some of these contradictions. Second part of the episode, we're looking at what to do about it. What's interesting, it's conflicting. Let's just say you have a conventional posture, conventional arms, putter length is appropriate for you. And you start taking that putter straight back. You're literally changing the radius of the stroke first from the wrist, then the elbow, and then the shoulder. So the, the effect of length is getting longer in the backswing, shorter as it returns to the ball. And then to keep the putter going down the line, you'd have to activate your right wrist and your right elbow and your right shoulder to keep it going straight. So straight back, straight through is actually inviting more wrist and arm and shoulder motion than it is taking it away. So that little belief system that you said, well, geez, I'm trying to take it straight back, straight through with no risk, that's a conflict. That is a complete conflicting statement on your behalf. Those two things don't really match. Now, I did say there's a couple exceptions. Set up like Michelle Wee with the body, the posture. Set up uh, with the elbows chicken winged out like Dean Wilson. But there is another one. Dave Pels kind of showed this with Perfy, is the hands under the top of the spine, but there's an angle between the shaft and the arm. And if you move the hands side to side, it can keep the club head outside the hand. So there's, you can manipulate it or contrive it, but there's three ways that you can do that. But I still do not believe, and like I said, we've actually tested human beings. We're not using a robot. We're not thinking of some type of theory here. We actually tested people. And I've only had a couple players, I do teach straight back, straight through to a couple players, just gave a lesson two days ago to one of my best straight back, straight through strokes. But if you look at him, he's got a Seymour center shafted putter. He's bent over. His elbows are out like an old school player, and he rocks his shoulders vertically. 
And uh, what's interesting to me is he always says to me, I struggle with my speed. And I said, well, your, your technique would cause you to struggle with speed. So I don't know if that answers your first question, but right out of the gate, I wouldn't say it's a myth, but I would say it's a contradiction. Love these explanations and these mindsets around golf instruction in general. It's, it's refreshing. Anyways, on to our next concept, uh, the concept of a pendulum. You definitely heard this advice. You have to swing the putter like a pendulum back and forth. I had to go all the way to Nova Scotia to Dr. Sasha McKenzie to find out how much if the putting stroke was like a pendulum. All right, so let's establish some rules first. Rule number one, a pendulum has a fixed point or a center, right? The center is fixed. And it has a rod that goes out to the circumference, and that would be a radius. So it has a fixed center and a fixed radius. And a pendulum would be pure 100% angular motion, meaning the club is rotating around that fixed point. It's pure. There's no linear movement. There's no translation side to side. Okay? And then what's interesting is the pendulum theory, you would take it back, and if you just dropped it, gravity would be the force that gets it started, and then it would swing around the a little torque around that axis, okay? And then what's interesting is if that pendulum collided with the object, wouldn't the follow-through be a little shorter than longer? And what's another thing with the pendulum is it has a free-falling type of acceleration. So getting back to number one, going to Nova Scotia, I found that the center of the putting stroke it might stay in a general area, but it's not fixed. The center of the putting stroke in space might not even be fixed on the body. It might be fixed somewhere in space. Number two, the radius doesn't stay constant. A robot, the, the radius would stay constant because the axis of rotation stays it's perfectly centered. But in the human, as soon as you have a little bit of wrist movement or a little bit of elbow extension, you've lengthened that radius by quite a bit. This is why a lot of golfers stub the ground. They stub the ground before they hit the ball. Sometimes they've got a radius that lengthened in the backswing through the wrists and the arms. And then also, with a human golfer, the butt of the club actually translates side to side, so making that radius longer than that of the robot. And then what's interesting on the downswing is that, you know, Sasho taught me that players actually apply a moment of force, and both hands apply a, a pair of forces at the handle. So it's not a gravity-based stroke. It's actually a torque-based stroke with the vast majority of golfers that we've looked at. And then the acceleration of it has more in common with a rubber band, meaning more like cruise control. It accelerates and then kind of levels off. There's always exceptions. Some people might have a little falling into the ball, and others might feel like they're increasing a little bit. But the acceleration graphs of a pe pure pendulum and a human golfer, they're not similar. And then the average golfers, their follow-through is longer than their, their backswing. So there's just a lot of conflicting information. I understand the concept of a pendulum, and I totally get it. But that's just not the reality of what people do. And when people come to me for a golf lesson, I said, I want, I want you to teach me how to stroke it like a pendulum. I just sit there and roll my eyes and grit my teeth and go, oh, my gosh, this person is so lost. You know. And as far as timing is concerned, you know, players' timing vary from backswing to, to time to impact. I mean, a player that putts with her wrist is going to have a quicker tempo 
or putts with their forearms or lower arms. You take Branch Snedeker, he doesn't putt with his big muscles. He putts with his hands and forearms. It's like a little pop. So that acceleration graph is definitely not going to look like a pendulum. And then you got a lot of players that putt with their, their trail arm. Look at Nicholas. Look at Stenson. Look at Tiger. And those are three different ways of moving the trail arm, and that tempo is not going to be the same as a shoulder stroke. When you take a look at somebody like Lauren Roberts, who has a long, slow tempo, and you know he putts with the very long arms and more of a shoulder rocking motion. So I think tempo is determined more by technique than it is you trying to match some type of ideal or optimal numbers. So there's my thoughts on those things. All right, you ready? You in this? Taking notes, changing some of your mindsets? Next one to check off. Let's do this. Eyes over the ball, to me, is not a fundamental. Somewhere along the line, somebody made eyes over the ball fundamental when the vast majority of golfers that I've measured over 11 years, and even Scotty Cameron has said this, stand with their eyes a little bit inside the ball. Now, I think it's more of a preference than it is a fundamental. If you see the line best with your eyes over the ball and you got to tilt your head and neck down to where you can almost see it in your central vision, and it may look accurate to you, it may not. For me, when I get my eyes over the ball and I tilt my head down, the line looks left of the hole. So, you know, I tend to agree with Bruce Rerick on this one, who also believes this, that you should stand where you see the line the best. That's what a lot of good players over the years would tell you is you just stand in a way or in a manner that you can see the line accurately, whether that means standing close to the ball, eyes over it or past it or inside of it or tall or crouched or open or closed or your head tilted to the right like Jordan Spieth. You know, stand in a manner to where you can see the line so that when you make a stroke, the ball goes where you're looking. I think that would be more fundamental than just, oh, get your eyes over the ball. But that's going to be another one, Cordy, that will die hard. A lot of these things that you're bringing up, I'm afraid might not, these concepts might not die off during my lifetime. And it's really sad because for something to be so perceived as simple as putting, the vast majority of golfers struggle so bad with putting. And so many golf instructors, they're so wonderful at teaching full swing. But when they start to teach putting, they either A, don't know what to teach. Or B, they call me up and go, I can't help this guy. What can you do for me? So there's so few putting instructors that are really good. And there's, there's several of them that are very good. I mean, Phil Kenyon's one of the best on the planet. Dr. Paul Hurrian's awesome. You know, Michael Bentley, as you mentioned, is really good, having some success. You know, John Dunnigan's one of my guys. There's several, of my, Preston Combs. There's lots of, of up-and-comers, Brian Bailey. But compared from putting instructors to full swing, good full swing instructors really outnumber the putting instructors. So like I said, some of these concepts, I mean, I got players that come to me and and they blurt out all of the stuff that you're saying to me is they'll say, yeah, I need to go straight back, straight through, be a pendulum and keep the putter low through impact. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, that's a contradiction right there. Keeping the putter low. Doesn't a pendulum swing back and up, back down, and back up again? There's nothing low except the low point of a pendulum. So you got these players trying to keep the putter low. What's that going to do? Invite left wrist and elbow extension and shoulder 
flexion extension. Same thing on the trail side. So there's just so much conflicting stuff that I feel sorry for people. It's just for something that's supposed to be so simple. We've used enough cliches and enough tips that have absolutely just got people confused. A good quote worth reiterating in there was, stand in a manner to where you can see the line so that when you make a stroke, the ball goes where you're looking. I think this is more fundamental than just, oh, get your eyes over the ball. That's really good. A lot of what David is going to talk more about is that we are all different. We all have different body types. We all have different mindsets and and mental builds. And we have to understand that what works for one person is not going to work for us. So the idea of stand in a manner to where you can see the line so you can make the stroke, the ball goes where you're looking, is much more important than stand with your eyes over the ball. Okay. Now it's time to get this in the direction of going forward. What do you believe and what do you do now? And what are some of the concepts that are going to help you better putt? We're going to start with three things. Well, as far as the putting stroke, I'm going to borrow this from John Dunnigan. Okay. And he's got a new book called Hole It, Three Essential Skills. And John's one of my certified level two instructors for Flat Stick Academy. The stroke is not a skill. Anybody that's listening, I want you to think about what that statement is. That's what John says. The stroke is not a skill. The skills of putting, if you want to get better at putting, number one thing is you need to become a great green reader. And I'm in agreement with Mark Sweeney that learning to read greens is the easiest skill. And that's a contradiction to what most people out there are going to believe. But if you understand the basic rules of slope, and stimp, and that's why express with the finger thingy is so good, is you can get the brake direction and how much it breaks down pretty quickly. And that's why this next generation of young kids growing up with Aimpoint, I feel like, are going to be really good green readers. The second skill you got to be really good at is you got to be good at adjusting your touch to the green speed of the day. I mean, you know, it might be playing at the municipal golf course one day and it's rolling at a stimp of eight. You get invited over to the country club, and they're rolling at a stimp of 12. There's a difference of four feet that you have to adjust to, and that's not including, you know, at the Muni, the greens were fairly level, and at the country club, they might be sloped anywhere from 2 to 3 to 4%. So I think the second skill that's difficult is getting the speed down for that day. And then the third skill, which is the most frustrating skill, is People aren't hitting it where they're looking. They're either got a push bias or a pull bias. And yet, you know, every golf teacher in the world would love you to be neutral, you know, square face at address, square face at impact, path zeroed out, shaft neutral, ball launching nicely. I mean, there's just so many little things. But the three things that golfers, a good starting point, become more skillful. All right. Don't go to the stroke as what's going to make you more skillful because I'll tell you this right now I had one of my top players on a sandpot lab face was zero point something the face address and impact zero point something the path was zero the shaft was neutral he just outstanding sam numbers right 209th in putting that's a perfect example of what John Dunnigan's saying in his book 
the stroke is not a skill. You got this almost near perfect putting stroke and you can't putt because you have to become skillful. You have to be able to learn to read greens. You have to be, adjust your speed and you need to learn how to manage your direction by your bias. I mean, Brad Faxon came in and I worked with him and t- captured 10 straight putts, 10 right to left putts, 10 left to right putts, all from 10 feet. And what was his genius was that even though the face wasn't dead 0.0, it was within a half a degree, which is pretty remarkable. And how he managed his right to left putts, making them in on the high side, and then managing his left to right putts and center cutting them. So you don't have to have a perfect stroke to be a great putter. And I think Billy Mayfair, do you remember Billy? Was a great putter. Yeah. And he had a loop and a stroke, and he was very skillful. And everybody kept getting on him about his stroke and how ugly it was, but it worked. And he knew how it worked. And he was a great manager of it. And then, but he finally caved in and tried to correct his stroke. And then he disappeared literally from not just the putting green, but from the tour. You know, and that's sad. I mean, you look at Jim Furyk, he doesn't have the perfect swing, but he knows how to manage it real well. Manage it to the point of shooting, what, 58 and making millions of dollars, being the rider cap captain. You know, I, I think, you know, back in my early days of teaching, I was a big stylist and technician when I taught full swing, obviously golf machine instructor, more ed instructor, and, you know, how a swing looked was important to me. But more importantly is how a swing works. It's not how it looks, how it works. Same thing with a putting stroke. You can have a great looking stroke, can't putt, can't putt in the ocean standing on the beach. I've seen guys with some gnarly looking strokes, but they can putt. You know, so the mentality of thinking that I have to have a perfect stroke to be able to putt is kind of, uh, that's a myth. How about that? Yeah. How do we find what works for us? Like you said, Billy Mayfair had that loop in, in, his, in his stroke, but it's still really, really functional right? And it performed really, really well. How do we know when that is a good thing and that it's functional versus like that is a detrimental thing that if we improved, we would get better even? Well, as a coach, that's like walking on a tightrope, right? So you got a player that comes to you and the ball's starting where they're looking and it's got the right speed and they know how to match the the read, the speed and the line and they're making putts, but they got a gnarly looking stroke. So what do you do? You know, that's a judgment call as a coach, you know? Now, Another thing that John Dunnigan said is, I didn't realize I was doing this over the last 11 years because I don't teach a method. I teach the person. And I didn't realize I was doing this, but I only change a stroke when it prevents somebody from, when there's something in the stroke preventing them from being skillful. So I'll change a putting stroke if, let's say, I had a guy the other day, his speed control was horrendous. Like the first putty hit was 10 foot past the hole, the second putty hit was five foot short. So there's a 15 foot difference. I wouldn't call that speed control. Would you? Not at all. Right. I would, I would not No. <laughs> so what's interesting is that impact, the club is actually backing up and adding loft. So the butt of the club's moving backwards and he's twisting the putter open. So he's adding loft and the putter's too low at impact. So he's hitting these little pop-ups, right? And so he doesn't realize that loft and the attack angle that are part of launching the putt, okay, have an effect on speed. He didn't realize that, that the impact spot has effect on speed. So he just sees these balls going long or short, so he's trying to adjust how hard he hits them. 
And he's basically popping up like a if you were to pop up a driver. So what's interesting is I had to change the stroke, the delivery of the loft and the delivery of the path as it's impacting the ball. And all of a sudden, by the end of the lesson, balls are rolling out within a foot of the same distance. So rather than a 15-foot dispersion, we've got about a one-foot dispersion. And this guy's a happy camper because I changed what was in the stroke that needed to help him become more skillful. So other than just changing it from an aesthetics point of view, I changed it from a functional point of view. And this guy became more skillful. And I see this a lot of times when players are trying to change their stroke that their skill gets affected. You know, you change how, say a guy's used to starting the ball with a little push, you know, and they kind of, but they do, they love the right to left putts and then they have to overplay or overread the left to right putts, but they get good at doing it. So they're playing their little pushes, right? And then they get them on a chalk line or a ball gate, which neutralizes them, get them to where they're not pushing it as much. Now they're hitting, hitting their right to left low and their left to right's high. So now the whole ecosystem, as my friend Phil Kenyon calls it, has shifted because you started working on a chalk line and you went from having a push bias to, to a neutral bias. So I think the time to change a putting stroke is when a person's struggling being skillful. So, I mean, another thing about putting that I find really interesting is grips. So many different ways to grip a golf club from whether the physical grip, are you going to go with a super fat, super stroke style grip? Are you going to go with a, you know, like a flat cat grip or a normal ping, really small grip, uh, Adele, the round putter grips, so many different uh, grips there. So many different ways to grip the club as well. Do you go left hand low, traditional you know, one of the other thousand ways that you can hold a golf club, you know, questions is just someone here on the sidelines is what grip should I use? How do I find what works for me? And how do I know when to switch? All right. Well, why don't you go out and try them first? See, I, which one feels most coordinated? There's step one. Brian Smock, who is now the head pro at Coronado Country Club near San Diego, California, was playing the web.com. And he came to me and he was, I think he was belly putter, left-hand low belly putter when he came to see me. And he had that same question. He goes, which way should I grip it? I said, well, let's go watch you putt some. So he did the belly putter and I said, okay, let's do the left-hand low. Let's do the conventional with the belly. And I said, well, uh, let me see the short one. He goes, oh, I can't do that one. I said, just let me see it. So he did the short one left-hand low, and he did claw, and he did conventional, and boy, that conventional stroke looked pretty good, to be quite honest with you, and his touch was better than all the other grips. And he says, well, to me, I goes, I, I can't do that. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to borrow a line from my friend James Lights. Never guess what you can measure. I said, Brian, let's go measure these strokes on the Sam Putt Lab. And sure enough, which stroke do you think was the best? It was a conventional grip with uh, the short putter and he goes to me he goes well i can't do this i said i said brian don't you think it might be just in your head that you've got a lot of trauma that you've missed a few short ones and it's kind of bought you into the idea that you needed to change your grip in order to kind of make short ones so what's interesting is he uh he looked at the data he goes all right let me try the conventional and short he goes what grip should we put on it I said, well, let me look at the size of your hands and the length of your fingers and where your lifeline is in your hand. 
And so I gave him obviously a big grip and I gave him a medium sized paddle grip, like a Lampkin deep etched. And I gave him a Pingman small pistol grip. And he started to feel them. And I started to watch how his thumbs and his fingers and his hands went on the club. And I said, that uh, paddle grip looks pretty good in your hands. Your wrists look like they're lined up better and your thumb and your forefinger look comfortable. And I said, or you could put three or four pieces of tape under that Pingman grip like Tiger does. And uh, so what we did was we found a grip that matched the way his hands felt the best and the way his wrists aligned the best and his thumb and forefingers aligned the best on the grip. And we went with that grip and he stuck out the rest of the season and put it much better. So I kind of let the skill determine, like, let's kind of get this in order. Number one, which grip feels the most coordinated, right? Left hand low, conventional, claw, whatever, arm lock. Which one feels like I got the best skill skills with, okay? And then actually measure it, you know? That's what I would do is I would follow that kind of three-step protocol and uh, then let the player decide it mentally which one do they feel comfortable with. That makes sense? Because after all, you got to feel comfortable over, over, over a putt. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of people have switched just because you said, you know, you, the trauma of missing a few short putts, right? Like, I relate to that with... Uh, you know, you feel uh, you tweak your right hand and it pulls a little or you push it a little and you're like, oh, I got to, you know, I got to drastically change here. <laughs> hey, well, you, you know, I'm just you, folding under pressure. Well, you just your instincts are correct. Changing the orientation of your hands to the club will change how the club face rotates. It will change maybe the the path direction or it might change the loft. I mean, changing your hands on the golf club as opposed to the big muscles, Cordy has the most direct influence on that golf club. What's holding the club is the hand. So when you change where your thumb is or your forefinger is, or you change how your hands are rotated or bent or extended or flexed, you know, if you're forward pressed like Phil Mickelson, that's going to change something in the behavior of that golf club. And I think people's instincts are correct. The problem is it's the blind leading the blind. You know, I always train my players, if you make a change, what's it going to do? to the stroke, number one, what's it going to do to your speed, number two, and what's it going to do to your direction, number three. So don't just blindly change your grip for the sake of changing your grip. Be a little better manager of that and saying, okay, if I turn my hand this way, oh, the putter goes a little more inside. I put my hand this way, it goes outside. Oh, where do I want it? Straight back, straight through? No, just kidding, Cordy. I want to swing in plane. Oh, that felt smooth. That didn't feel like it went outside or inside. It felt like it stayed in plane. Oh, that felt smooth. That felt like it didn't twist. So when, you, when you're changing your grip, it does have the most immediate impact, but be intelligent about how, how and why you're changing your grip. Remember back when we had on Justin James, the long drive champ? He said something along the lines of, if you want to hit it farther, you need to just go out on the range and swing as hard. As you can just try to swing really hard because most of us don't do it and i wonder how many of you have done that or maybe you did it once you felt awkward you miss hit the shot it was uncomfortable and you never did it again you know what it's natural you know if something's uncomfortable we kind of run away from it unless we're dedicated and we have a plan and we're sticking with something i and we have the same thing here have you ever tried different ways of holding a, a putter 
I would guess probably not because it's something that's uncomfortable. You don't want to do it because your friend might make fun of you for trying a new putter grip. Uh, you don't know what to do. Uh, and even though there might be a way out there that's more comfortable and fits your stroke better, that aspect of you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone is, is holding you back. Now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go change your putter grip. That's not the reality here. But maybe if you've never thought of this, you've never thought of changing your, your putter grip, there is something that you need to look into. Let's talk more about path direction at impact. If I have a tendency to have my face slightly open, wouldn't it be intelligent to maybe have the path going maybe a hair left through impact? Those are a complement to each other. If I have a tendency to have a closed face at impact, wouldn't it be wise to maybe adjust the arc a little bit to the right or inside down the line or a little inside out? So why don't you let the face determine the path because the path is carrying the face, you know, and it's hard to be neutral. I think there's a whole bunch of training aids out there, a whole bunch of coaches teaching people to be neutral, which statistically does prove that you could be equally as well on left to right and right to left putts. But how many people are actually have a 0.0 face at impact and a 0.0 path at impact? And I can tell you right now, very few people do it, and let alone you couldn't do it from stroke to stroke. So you got to have, that's why we divide path, you know, uh, managing direction into a bias. Do you tend to push spots? Do you tend to pull them? If, um, do you tend to be neutral? You know, uh, Working on a ball gate, I can hit it through the ball gate with a, the face slightly open to the path, swing the path slightly left and get the face to be zero at impact to the target line, but slightly open to the path, and I get the ball through the gate. And I can do conversely. I can have the face a little closed, swing the direction a little bit in to out or a little to the right, get the face squared impact to the target line, but slightly closed to the path. So I would think of it this way is let the face be the king and let the path be the court, you know, let the path support the king, which is the face. And so I think what people misunderstand is they don't know the difference between face rotation and arc. Arc is the three-dimensional path of the club and the face is the face, the plane of the face. So I get people all the time say, hey, they sit there and they demonstrate with their putter. Do you teach arc putting? And they're sitting there twisting the putter open, closed, open, closed. I'm like, that's face rotation. Path would be the path of the sweet spot or the path of the center of mass of the club, whichever way you want to look at it, or the path of the center of the face. It's a direction of energy. So in most training aids are teaching path. And it's hard to teach the face. It's hard to control the club face consciously. I was telling one of my assistants the other day, I was like, listen, you can't control the face consciously. You may think you can, but you're going to end up steering. I said, we have to learn to feel the sensations of what an open face feels like, what a closed face feels like, what a neutral face feels like, and then we need to train it. So we have to get the sensations first, what does it feel like, and then we have to train a square face, and how do we do that? Chalk lines, and nothing better is hitting through ball gates. Quick story, I had a young boy come to me, never had a putting lesson before, and he gets on the Sam Putt Lab, and I've never seen face numbers like this from any of the top players I've ever worked with in the world. He's pumping out 0.0s and 0.1s and negative 0.1s and 0.2s, and nothing was over a half a degree. And I'm sitting there going, I thought you didn't have a putting lesson. He goes, I never have. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, the only thing I know to practice is, is to hit through these ball gates. And, he, and I said, really? He goes, well, it's the only thing that gives me feedback because 
if I hit the right tee, the face is open. If I hit the left tee, the face is closed. And if I get it through there, the face is square. And I'm like, wow, this is brilliant. So the kid learned, number one, through feedback. And he was very aware of what the face felt like when it hit the right tee and very aware of his body motion when he hit the left tee. So the kid was a master learner. And I was just like, wow. You know, so what do you do with that stroke? Well, you don't do much with the directional things. You just kind of work more on the speed things and the dynamics. And come to find out the kid just wasn't a good green reader. And I sent him, outsourced him to somebody that lived near him. And he started to learn aim point and became a really good putter because he became a good green reader. So to answer your question, I mean, obviously... How do you know which way? You got to know what your face is doing and what's your directional bias. What do you tend to do? Do you tend to push butts? You got to get the face squared up or closed up a little bit. And, you know, your path should support that. Thank you so much, David Orr, for joining us. Really fun to sit down and talk to you. As always, great insights. Make sure to check out what he's doing with Flat Stick Academy. Great website, great membership online program there that you can learn from. He also has some, some live things happening. You can find all the info over there on that website. Make sure to go check out what David is doing and say thank you for the time that he spent with us here today. David also answered some quick questions. You can get to know him a little bit better. That will be coming out next week. Make sure to listen for that on the podcast. And if you are listening to this and you are not a Golf Science Lab insider, make sure to go subscribe. That would be an email. Sign up over at golfsciencelab.com slash insider. Totally free. Make sure to go do that. Uh, otherwise, this episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and let me know what you think about the episode. This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions.